0: All right, well, good morning, and uh, hope you're having a good morning here This as you've entered in. I don't know what your journey was getting here, but uh, I just thought I'd start off, and I'll encourage you a little conversation today throughout the message, so be forewarned. But... Um, I was wondering and I was thinking about, we just had dad's birthday, as I mentioned earlier, and celebrations. We had several others on Friday night with family. I wonder, what are your ways of celebrating in life? Not just birthdays, but different traditions that you might have when something good happens. I know uh, growing up, Rachel loved Christmas stockings so much that they actually imported that, so we do birthday stockings in our family. You get a little stocking with the little things in it, and the kids like that. So that's a tradition we've carried on. But what are some things you have done for celebrating? So go ahead and tell your neighbor, either in front or in back of you. You might have to move a little bit to tell somebody. But go ahead and tell somebody some of your favorite things you've celebrated or ways of celebrating. And now yesterday we did yard work. It was kind of a bait and switch. We celebrated the opening of the New Dutch Brothers by going over there after we finished yard work yesterday. So, yeah, my kids like to tie it in with food or treats when we do that. Now, This morning I think that we're being called not only to celebrate with one another, but I want to talk about what it means to have a mindset of celebrating God and what it looks like when we celebrate God together. So if you have your Bible, just open up to the middle of it to Psalm 100. And this particular psalm doesn't have any particular author prescribed to it. It's a a psalm or a hymn that we believe that they recorded that was a uh, sung during uh, the festivals that the Jewish people, the Israelites, would celebrate in their history. And so, um, I'm going to read that out loud to us this morning. So, it begins, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now part of studying the Psalms and looking in these books is looking at the the pattern in which the poetry or the, the prose or the song is written. And And in this, we have a simple A-B pattern that's going on. They talk about reasons of thanksgiving and celebration to be sung out. And then there's a mention of um, the celebration and why we celebrate our covenant God, our committed God to us. So it says what we want to do in praising the Lord and then tells us who the Lord is, gives us, reveals more about the Lord himself. Um, And so when we think about that, we think about worship, we also often think about a worship band. But really, our understanding of worship that we share here at Incline is that worship, right, it's it's your life. Our lives are a sacrifice of praise. Um, They're a living sacrifice. Everything we do gives us the opportunity to do it unto the Lord. And yet there is a time of gathering of God's people where we come together as one to worship. That's been throughout The history of God's people is this idea of worshiping God. There's an old story about a man who dreamed that an angel escorted him to church one Sunday. And looking above, he saw the keyboard playing and and the saxophone and the... Well, throwing a harp there for Elizabeth and, uh, uh, and the guitarist and the choir and the drums. And he watched and the crowd was moving their lips but they didn't hear anything and then the preacher got up and spoke and, and preached but he couldn't hear anything and he turned to his escort and said what what's going on well he said this is the way this service sounds to us in heaven you hear nothing because there's nothing to hear these people are engaged in the form of worship but their hearts and minds are far from god and so as we look upon our, our worship and talk about this idea of worship this morning, we really, it's its a, always a heart issue, not a form and function. We have a lot of freedom there. But I think this psalm can really encourage us in our worship. And so opening up here, even in, in the beginning we see uh, we're called to do a few things. First, make a joyful noise. And then uh, we're called to... Uh, Serve or worship the Lord with gladness, and then we're called to come into his presence. And I like that first one because I'm not as musical as some, so I can make a noise. So if you're not a singer this morning, you can make a noise. And if you do it joyfully, then you're obeying the scriptures. But the idea of make a joyful noise, there's a word there in the original, in the Hebrew, it's about shouting. And calling to the Lord, it says here, it says, call out to the Lord. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. We're to call out to him, to shout. And it's really coming into his presence with a shout, a cry of joyful praise. And it's to be done by all. And the word here is also used in this idea of a war chant or a victory chant or a war cry, shouting out and it made me think, you know, yesterday, if you do any college football i have ever seen it, every team's got their chant, their war cry. You do it as you go into the stadium, you do it when you're in there, and then you get together and you sing it out whenever you win. When we went to Texas A&M, everybody in the stands would get up, you'd interlink legs and arms, and then you'd sway back and forth and sing that same war cry all the time. Win or lose, they would do it all the same way. But the amazing thing is, right, when you do that in a crowd, you, you come in as individuals, but it kind of draws you in in this unique unity around this, your identity is that team. You're really there for that team. You're one group. You're of one mind. It's kind of like it doesn't matter what you do outside the stadium. For that uh, three-hour game, you are all one. One unit, one goal, one focus, one loyalty, one common cause that creates community. It's one of the things I think that draws people to sports. It's just that community that people long for coming together. And it's a a cry of praise that's to be done by all. And it's a call to worship the Lord. And see, and that's a great reason to praise him. To come into his presence with singing. And to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And yet that's where it begins is that, this is telling us it's about coming in and worshiping the Lord, and it's not about us. And so worship is about the Lord. He has to be the center point, the focus, uh, not ourselves. And I wonder this morning, are we as unified and as excited about worshiping the Lord together as a bunch of fans are in a stadium or at a concert or and other events where we come together to uh, cheer on or to look on or upon something. Now, as we move to verse 2, just by show of hands here, in verse 2, how many of you starts out with the word serve the Lord with gladness? How many does it say worship the Lord with gladness? Yeah, half and half, a little more than half. It's interesting, isn't it? There's quite a bit of difference, I think, between serve the Lord and worship the Lord with gladness, or is there? That, that idea, that word there for serve or worship, um, it has it's the word abod, and it means to work, uh, to let work, or to be, or to join in the work, to serve, or to worship. That's a little more depth to it, doesn't it? It's in contrast with, I think, how we can often approach our worship. You know, we can often approach our worship as if it were um, a movie or, or going to a play and we go in and, and we sit and we observe and we take it in and then we leave and we say, well, the, the lead actor, well, he did okay in that and, well, you know, I think the plot was a little weak in that movie. And I think we can do that on Sunday mornings and say, well, those songs hit me today, but you know, the sermon was here or there, hit or miss, and we can kind of treat it like a an event where we're an audience and we come in and we observe and we just consume. And I think that's one of the plagues of the church in the United States. Uh, I went to a lunch or breakfast with um, Jerome's ministry and uh, a couple of weeks ago and he had uh, two people in, a director from West Africa and then a missionary um, on, uh, on East Africa, and they were sharing and we just asked him, well, one of them had lived here growing up has been away for 30 years. And so we were asking him, what do you notice that's different about the American church? And they just said, I don't, we're so close to it, we don't know how much we've been consumed by our culture and how little we're separated from it. And um, in this mentality, they just didn't understand of coming and the consumers of being able to switch from one church to another. And so what this is calling us to and what it's really telling us is that worship calls us to be active participants. We are to serve the Lord, to be a part of this. Um, for all of Israel to come, this was a call, and it's a call for us to come as specifically as God's people, as a local church. It's a gathering, uh, we call it. A gathering to make Jesus known. We're to come and to make an effort to put effort in. For God. And part of that is when we put effort in for one another and do things to help one another on Sundays and to serve and to bless the children and to lead and to set up. Part of that, That's all in the realm of praise that goes to God. But our focus is God. But there is an effort that takes place. And we're going to talk about that as we walk through the psalm. We'll get into that a little bit deeper. Uh, in verse. Three, then it shifts to talking about their covenant with God or who God is it says know that the Lord he is God know that the Lord he is God it sounds redundant know that God is God but if you've studied the Old Testament at all you know there are different names for God within the text and so this one says know that Yahweh he is Elohim Know that Yahweh, he is Elohim. And so this is the idea, this, know that the Lord, the one true God, Yahweh, is majestic, mighty, and awe-inspiring. Doesn't that add a lot to that? (laughs) Know that God, he is majestic, awe-inspiring, and mighty. When we come into his presence, sometimes we need to be reminded of that majesty and how amazing and big God is and how small we are and so as we look at this we are to declare and it goes on to say that we are his people it is he who made us he is the creator it's acknowledging that he has authority over us he created us we are his possession that goes against our culture doesn't it Our mindset of we are our own, we are self-made, but to say that we are the Lord's possession, we are His people, therefore He has authority over our lives and our decisions and can speak into them, that's pretty powerful. And the word right here that says know that the Lord is God and that it is He who made us, the word know means confess, acknowledge it. Not just know it here, but you're confessing that He's God. You're speaking it out. You're saying, I believe it. It's coming from deep within. It's not just a mere mentally knowing who God is. But it's actually taking time to confess that and share that openly. And so, it is the Creator we, who we are praising. And He has authority in our lives. Because, as we know... His New Covenant, New Testament, that we are His, but we know now that God's plan was for Jesus to purchase us with His very life, with His blood on the cross. So we now understand the full scope of that plan, although we don't know the exact details of the full ending, but we do know the full scope of that plan is that Jesus Christ died for us. We were purchased at a high cost. Showing us how much God actually loves us and cares for us. I like how he then takes it from, we're made by God, we are his possession, we are his people. So it moves from, you know, the individual people, you are made by God, you are his possession when you come into his family. Then we are his people. We understand we're the bride of Christ. So there's a group mentality here as well. We are one. We're now in a family of God. And then he takes it one step deeper and refers to we are the people, the sheep of his pasture. This is one of the greatest um, pictures the Bible gives of Jesus Christ and of God. Uh, he is the good shepherd. We have Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And when we understand and dig into the details of shepherding, it's quite an amazing word picture that God chose that has lasted throughout 2,000 years. It does deep meaning. You know, a shepherd has that ability to care for an individual sheep, right, and to go out and look for just one that is lost, to make sure that one is healthy. But the shepherd also has that ability to back up and look at everybody and do what's best for the whole flock, and the care for the whole flock is one. And so there's this individual and corporate aspect to God's care for us and to Jesus' care for us. As individuals, he meets you where you're at. He, the gospel deals with the problems you have, with the past you have, with the struggles you have. But the gospel brings us together as one. It unifies us, and it can, Jesus actually cares not only about you individually, but he cares about his bride, the church. And he cares about Incline Church. He cares about this body meeting this morning, and about those other bodies of Christ that we've been praying for. Isn't that amazing how God can care for us in all of these different ways, personally and corporately? It's been said by a preacher, um, Dr. Ray Pritchard, he said this, caught my eye. Uh, The greatest and deepest Christians I've ever met are not the ones with advanced degrees. They're not the ones who are always happy and cheerful. But they are the people who have found God to be faithful in the worst moments of life. Instead of running away from God, they ran towards him. And they know things about God that the rest of us haven't yet experienced. When we allow Christ to be our shepherd, when we run to him, when things aren't great, when we don't feel like praising, when you go through struggles as a body, and you go through life as a body, supporting one another, you discover things about trusting Christ, right? Some of you are nodding your heads because you know you've been through it. You're like, yeah, I know God so much better now. I didn't want to go through that, and I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but what I learned through it adds this depth that never ends, to the gospel and to who Christ is. And that is what it's pointing to. We are the people, the sheep of his pasture. That is a song of praise we are to declare and to call out. So verse 4, pretty well known uh, if you think about it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Now that's this idea of, A corporate thanks, not just individual thanks, but entering his gates as a group. And so it's a corporate thankfulness, being thankful as a body. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, being around a group of believers that are all thankful for the same thing and just in full gratitude for the Lord. I can remember uh, in Hawaii, our church, Kalihi Union, um, Hurricane Iniki was headed towards us in the early 90s, and it was up until about an hour when it was supposed to have landfall that it shifted just a few degrees and ended up devastating the island of Kauai instead of Oahu. And I can remember that that very following that Sunday, the, for some reason that service stuck out in my mind as people were praying and singing and this idea of gratitude of coming through that tough time. I can remember being in hallways throughout my life outside of hospital rooms after a successful surgery or a procedure or somebody uh, turning around or even somebody going to be with the Lord. This group thankfulness in coming and praising God. There's something unique about it. Something unique about when all our minds are focused on the Lord and just pouring out in gratitude for a shared experience. And... I think it's something that we need to think about and wonder about what is it that we could be thankful for even here as a church? What are some things that we could say to one another that we are thankful for that God has done in gratitude? So go ahead and talk with your neighbor, somebody in front of you, in back of you, and uh, share something you're grateful for with Either this local church or a local church you've been in, so go ahead. What are you grateful for about being in a local church or being with the people of God? Or you can even share experiences you've had of being grateful. All right, well, it's good that I see smiles coming across your face. and um, You know, the psalmist here shifts then and he talks, we're going to talk a little bit more about verse 4 in a moment, um, but he goes, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And uh, I can remember I did this assignment where it's like, look up the word "steadfast love," and how it's used in the Old Testament in all the different ways. And what I soon discovered was that's the Old Testament picture of what we now sing about all the time, and that's grace. That's that steadfast." to be stead- He loved the people of Israel, no matter what they did. Now there were consequences and direction from God, but he stuck with his promises and he showed them he, that he, when he says he will love you and care for you and guide you, he sticks with it. That's our God. He is steadfast. His love, his grace and mercy for us endures. And so as we look at that, we have this steadfast love and this description of grace. And that's a great cause for praise. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. He's the same. He's the same God. His character is unshifting and changing. Our character hopefully is growing over time, right? But God's is solid. If you know anybody in your life has that solid character that's not shifting, man, what a blessing they are. But to know that our God is like that with us, to be reminded of his character of being good, and that he is his faithfulness and his goodness. He is beautiful. He is pleasing, friendly. He's kind, moral, desirable, pleasant, faithful. His covenant love <laughs> reaches in and changes life for everybody. And so, as we look at this, Israel's beginning to understand, and they would understand in spurts, just as we do throughout our lives, that, that God. Purely chose them, uh, not of their own deserving, but by his design. With Abraham, with Moses, with David, uh, through the prophets calling them back. In Jesus we know we have this reason to celebrate today the gospel covenant that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life in Christ. He's covered it all, any penalty for our sins, taking away the ga- guilt and giving us a new identity. And so why wouldn't we enter his gates with thanksgiving on our hearts? Enter his courts with praise. I'll declare this is the day the Lord has made and I'll rejoice and I'll be glad in it. Back then we used to clap. and sway. Some of you who know that. But then it says his faithfulness To all generations. To me, this is an amazing statement. From one generation to the next, we can declare who God is. But every generation has a story to tell about how God was faithful, about his steadfast love. And that's part of the joy of coming together as a body of Christ. uh, To impact all generations, to make mature and multiply joyful followers of Christ. And so that's why I always remind people, in heaven, there won't, there's going to be so many generations we won't be able to fathom it, of sharing God has been faithful year after year after year. So many of the Psalms call us to that. Be faithful and tell the next generation of the testimonies of God's work in your life. That's part of the key of our DNA here, right, is that we provide opportunities, that we value the youngest And we also honor and listen and learn from the oldest. We come together trying to reflect as best we can the body of Christ that we are brought with. Eternal and generational impact. That means that what we're doing here today has the opportunity to have an impact down the road. And everything we do has the opportunity for eternal, unending impact. Not much you can do in the world that you could say you'll have an eternal impact. Even the best uh, inheritance may be remembered for a hundred years. Then maybe there'll be some end to that family line, but not in Christ. I mean, I would love for Incline to be here, and they not even remember who started it. It's just Incline and people are being served and ministered for the gospel. But even churches have a life cycle and an impact that we can make but we want to invest in every generation and walk through that and so i wonder if you notice just kind of walking through here this the i like doing that whenever sometimes you come to a passage and you're like oh that's where that line from that song came it is a scriptural song <laughs> or you see it so you can see even just throughout these five verses sure you can pick out different songs we've heard or different lyrics that are a part of songs that we sing and i always wonder and i kind of think through these and i'm like i wonder what that original hymn sounded like you know and now, you know, obviously in the different languages they sang it but what was the tune what was the melody what did, what did the people sound like when they sang and and why is it that singing is so unique why is it that God calls us to sing? And we have these songs written in here. We have these commands. If any of you is joyful, let him praise anything. Let him sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord with gladness all his people. There's something special about joining in corporate worship and singing together. And there are very few places in our culture that we do it anymore, actually. I think that's... It's so powerful and unique. That's why countries have national anthems. You sing it, it draws you together. That's why teams have fight songs. That's why concerts can be fun because people sing together. But even then, it's a unique thing in our, our, our culture now. It used to be more common singing together. But church is one of the unique places you can come and sing next to somebody. And so I was thinking through and have read through many of the benefits of singing. And so When we sing, you are, first off, you obey. You obey God's call to us to sing. It's something he says to do whenever we appreciate him. It's a way of worshiping him, and it's even reflective of our time as we'll be in heaven with him. And uh, then you're proclaiming God's truths. Uh, We work hard to come through the songs and try and pick things that are reflective of the scriptures. Some of them are human lyrics that take the scriptures and express the truth. But we try to have them expressing truth. And sometimes it's word for word from the scriptures. But we're expressing truth. So truth is being declared into the open air when we sing. And then you build up others. Did you know that? Or maybe you felt that when you come in. And you uh, just been in a different spot. But you come in and you listen to others sing. And it ministers to you. And sometimes you just, you just take that in. But being surrounded by voices saying the same words corporately ministers deeply to our soul. I've felt it. I'm sure you've felt it at times. And uh, whenever you sing out, maybe you're, you don't know it, but when you join the group, you're building up others by singing together. Whether you're a great singer or a middle-throw singer, when we sing out, it builds up others. In Corinthians, he talks about, you know, when outside people come in and they hear your worship, they shouldn't be confused, but they should see something unique and hear these words and let them penetrate to their hearts and point them to Christ. So we're strengthened, and I think that when I put, you're on the pathway to God's joy. A lot of time, music can help us get in touch with our emotions in a way that's different than just speaking. Whether it's the instruments or the words or the combination of both or the voices being sung, it it can draw us closer to God and move us towards that path of being able to look and actually have joy in the midst of our circumstances. Uh, And and you hear during these radio on like Way FM, and I'm usually like trying to turn the channel when they're doing their fundraising drive, but you do hear the testimonies of people who came on and said, I was at a low point, that song came on, It touched me. It helped me to refocus on Christ. Now I'm in a place of joy. And so music can be a key part also of just your personal worship, hearing others. But it's also, also a neat part of what we do. And I appreciate that we get to do that together and grow together in this unique opportunity of singing. You see, as I wonder about this talk about community, this heart connection, this oneness. I wonder if I were to ask you before the sermon and take a little quiz and just say, when is the time you felt most unified, most in community with somebody or a group of people? Would it have been in the local church? For some, it may have been a military experience being in the midst of battle together. I mean, that's intense. It that draws your squadron together. For others, it might have been, man, when I was at that AFC championship game and we were all cheering, and that seems like ancient history, but, uh, or it could have been, ah, I was in this concert or this song broke out at a party and we were just all together. But what is the best community experience God has given us? And I believe it's supposed to be the local church, where we come in and we truly feel that power of community, the power of worshiping together, the power of being with one another and and being a part of something so much bigger and vast and majestic than ourselves. Worshiping someone beyond ourselves, worthy of our worship, actually. I was listening to a message recently in a podcast and, uh, by Francis Chan, and uh, he's a well-known author and pastored uh, one of those growing mega churches and he woke up one day and just said, I don't know if this is the way church is supposed to be. Um, and soon he retired and resigned, I guess, and he took his family off to Asia uh, for a, over a year or something, just traveling around, being missionaries. And he'd sold enough books; he had margin to do that, but um he said, when he met with the Chinese church and leaders there, he was so amazed by their just this passion and this idea that worship is serving the Lord, it's coming together and giving to the Lord. There was a fervency this everybody felt they had a responsibility to do it and a priority in it and and the and he said. That was while the church was underground. He said, there's a season, the pastor said, where we were being allowed to meet. And he said, we had this meeting, and we had over 2,000 believers gathered. And uh, I forget like the exact length of time they were able to do that, but he said, I soon became frustrated as their pastor because people weren't being active anymore. They started to come and just partake in that big gathering. But then when persecution came again, he said, we got back to a sweeter place in his view of fellowship and worship. And I wonder if we face that challenge. And one of the challenges, I think, of being a startup church is trying to put on something that will meet the needs of the people we're trying to reach, right? And to, to draw people in. But then one of the other things that is really sweet about it is being able to come in and know the joys of we've had to rely on God together. And we're walking through this together. It's no one individual. It is an us thing. And we're getting to go through it together as an us thing. And so what does it look like then if we go back here to... Uh, This idea that is embedded in this psalm of serving the Lord with gladness, coming into his presence, entering his gates. What can you do to make uh, Sunday mornings more impactful for your own life? What can you do uh, to prepare your family? What can you do that will help us refocus our lives? Because sometimes, right, on Sunday mornings, it's just hard to get up and get here, or things happen, and there's so many things and opportunities and choices that we have within our culture. And so here's an Israelite worship routine here, especially for the festivals. So it was a priority. Um, they, they set it aside. It was important. Now, it was embedded more fully in their culture, for sure. Um, so, but they prepared ahead of time. So they thought about it ahead of time, put in effort. It wasn't a last minute thing. And I I say this on this section here about priority and then they have privilege to be in God's presence. Understanding that it is a privilege. I think we need to be reminded of that sometimes. It's a privilege to come together because it's for God and not for us. And then active participants and not consumers. And When I think about priority, I don't think of some legalistic thing like, you should be here on Sunday. If you miss, you're a (laughs) sinner. Priority means you can have something be a priority and be intentional about, yeah, we missed here, but our heart's desire, it's really about our hearts. Is my desire to be with God's people, or is it more affection going towards other things? That's what it comes down to. It's not about percentage attendance. It could be that you're in a season of life, but you long to be with God's people when you're not with God's people. Do you have a longing for that? And I think that's some of the things we're trying to build and pray for and connect with. And one of the biggest challenges we will face in this time period for the church is a longing to be with God's people in community, in an understanding that it is absolute privilege. And uh, within that, I wanted to show a little picture here. Um, I want us to be a global church. So I believe that God has a plan for us globally, and we want to be a part of doing things outside of just ourselves and for ourselves. And so as we grow, we are praying and talking about what will missions look like. And one of the things that missions has done for me is to give me a proper perspective on worshiping God and coming together as his people. So, thankfully, none of you started laughing at these pictures. So, I, first off, I appreciate that. Thank you. Not laughing. Now, that is me getting ready to preach the first sermon I ever preached. I was on a missions trip uh, out of, based out of Hawaii, and the guy the day before says, Kevin! Tomorrow you are preaching. I'm like, I'm not trained. I don't know what to say. It's like, go spend time. Pray about it. Be ready. So we go. And as we drive in this bottom picture, we come behind this group. And uh, they are walking in as a group, singing and praying in step, kind of marching in. And they let our car in, entering his gates with thanksgiving. It was amazing uh, to see this. And they had walked... You know, walked in a mile, two miles, five, maybe up to ten. And then these are all the kids that were there. And behind is just that field and there's trees around. No building. I stood in this clump out in the sun, getting bright red because I was sweating and I had the suit on, with a translator and yelled out to a couple hundred people under trees. Some sermon that I don't know. I just preached about how they could be missionaries to the world, too, that America's not the greatest place, what's greatest is to know the Lord. And, and so in doing that, you, you begin to realize they didn't have but a drum and one other little instrument, and their praise was full of joy. <laughs> and uh, they made it a prior, I mean they came together as a people. And then afterwards, that's just my fun picture because his name is Boaz. So I was like, ancient cousin, (laughs) Boaz and Boaz, right there, both with our glasses on. So, um, but it's just good, you know, to get out or even expose our kids and let you know that worship looks different around the world, but it's all worship. And we have the privilege of adding some things in here in our culture and doing some things. But when we boil it all down to it, it's about prioritizing God in our hearts. It's about the privilege of coming together. It's about singing and building one another up, using our gifts together, and making, most of all, God known. Making Him known. And the reality is that not every Israelite, I don't think, felt like worshiping every week or every festival or going in. Some of them had tough things going on in their life. And yet they still went through it, and the other people were able to build them up and support them in that. It's not like I expect you to, to get in your car on a Sunday morning and be like, Woo, it's church day! And then you put on Cool in the Gang, celebrate, good time, come on. You all know, come to church, and you come in, yeah! We know that that's not life in the broken world, but there should be an element of joy in us or an excitement from time to time about coming before the Lord right if we don't have it then we maybe need to get back to the root in the heart of worship and realize that god is in this and so really the application is simple just how can i how can we as a family god is there anything you'd have us do a little differently or even from time to time really stop and even on a saturday night or something and say hey That's why I try to do communion every month on Family Sundays so you can say, hey, tomorrow's communion. Here's what it's about. Let's prepare our hearts for that. We're going in there. And other times you're just going to stumble in here and get here and you're like, yes, we made it. (laughs) Barely. And uh, we're happy for that as well. Because when we come together, there's something powerful about it. And when we do it consistently, there's something that speaks to the Lord. And most of all, we just hope, hope that they hear us and that in heaven it's heard and that God is pleased with us and that our focus draws us to him and thankfulness for who he is and what he has done and just forget about everything down here for a little while and remember that heaven is indeed our home. And so uh, as we close today, we're going to do this. We're going to stand up and um, men... You're going to read verses 1 and 3. Women, 2 and 4, all of us 5 together. Okay? So, please stand. And So, men, you are 1 and 3, and women, 2 and 4, and then verse 5, we'll do it all together. Okay, so, uh, men, let's start. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. For the Lord is good; His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Then you're going to lead us in singing. you